for 30 years, there was a segment of the privileged that felt that they couldn't express their true views. They didn't like the way the, the country was going. They became disenfranchised because their franchise was to suppress others. Their franchise was to make, was, was to leverage the labor of others, or at least that was their dream. And they watched that dream diminish. They watched that dream vanish, but they hid. You can't identify them unless they speak up. And now they're speaking up. Now they have the courage to speak up, but they're speaking up in undemocratic ways. And everybody is surprised. Everybody is shocked that these true Americans are not acting like Americans. And the greatest threat by these true Americans is that they want to be the thought police. Everything else is a consequence of that. They want to control the books that are in the library. They want to control the books that we use in education. They've always been doing that. And now they're afraid that the boundaries are becoming fuzzy and they're losing control. Welcome to Peter and Phil's Courageous Conversations, a podcast addressing race relations and social issues in hopes that you'll be inspired to do the same. Now, let's begin our conversation with your hosts, Dr. Peter Weinstein and Dr. Philip Nelson. It's this ongoing challenge that we will continue to reconcile and discuss. The, the important thing is we're actually discussing it. I agree. I agree. I, I, I'm enjoying this discussion too, because we've been having the same thoughts. And I know that we're, we're probably on the same side of the issue, but that's not the point. The point is, is that there are other sides of the issue. But the point really is, is that all of those sides are probably right at some point in time, in some situations. We, we need to get somebody back on at some point with the other side to discuss the other sides of the issue, because I think I tend to lean to listening to what I want to hear and not always hearing what others have to say. Yes. But I, but I, I hope when we bring somebody on with the other side that whoever it is, is willing to at least understand that however passionate they are about their side, that answer can't be the only answer. Our answer can't be the only answer. And so I am against any state law that meddles so deeply in healthcare to the point that it either outlaws or legalizes an approach that should be chosen with as much care as we choose when to use steroids. It goes back to some of the original discussion, which is, are we making decisions that are based upon information, knowledge, research, studies to support the decisions or not. Yeah. And so, but I think what we have to do is we have to pull back in our discussion and understand that both sides are talking about life. Right. One side has been able to characterize the other side as anti-life. Mm -hmm. Pro-choice is not a phrase that engenders life choices. Hmm. You know, it, it's interesting because theoretically, if we're talking about this whole discussion is about pro-choice, isn't it? Discu the, the choice of 
Um, no, no, it's not. No, this whole discussion is about life. Right. But I, okay. I hear what you're saying. I do. You know where I'm going. I don't, but but I'm I'm trying to break that mentality okay. because it diminishes the importance of that right. The Roe v. Wade is a is a discussion of life. Yes. The the gun issue is a discussion of choice and life, ultimately. Yeah, now the gun issue is a is a different issue. And yes, you can roll life into it, but it's not. Honestly, the gun issue is a discussion about ownership. It's complicated with uh, the desire to protect oneself from its own government and a desire to have the means to overthrow that government if they're unhappy. And the people who are rabid about it actually do want to overthrow that government. If you look at it from a global standpoint, are you not limiting people's choice? Of course you are. I've been saying that all along. Right. I, I don't understand why you have to have an AR-15. Concur. Okay. I just don't. Unless you want to overthrow the government. And, and for that matter, then, you ought to be able to buy a tank, too. You know, if the Second Amendment allows you to arm yourself so that you can overthrow the government. Now, at the same time, a recent report came out that police shootings are up. Yes. Crime is up in general. Well, no. Police shootings in particular are up. Right. A certain segment of society that really wants to overthrow the government that is not participating in the American dream has a, a, a reactionary view of the American dream. They now see police not as agents of the government, but agents of a foreign government, agents of a government that they do not support, the enemy, if you will, rather than our protectors. Now, if my father had had that same viewpoint, he probably would have raised a different man. And it's usually the suppressed who, ought, who should have that kind of mentality. I find it ironic that it's the privileged that develop that mentality. Hmm. I find it ironic that it's the privileged that feel suppressed rhetorically that end up resorting to violence. You find it ironic that the privileged who've gotten everything that they want whenever they want, when they don't get what they want, are resorting to some way to get what they want. Correct. I guess um, I'm not, I'm, I'm yes. <laughs> it's just as ironic when the overtly suppressed respond with nonviolence in order to flip the tables. Maybe the overtly suppressed are more patient than the, the privileged who... no. No, the overtly suppressed did it that way because they realized they were outnumbered. Ah, okay. And they were easily identified. The privileged can hide. For 30 years, there was a segment of the privileged that felt that they couldn't express their true views. They didn't like the way the the country was going. They became disenfranchised because their franchise was to suppress others. Their franchise was to make, was, was to leverage the labor of others, or at least that was their dream. And they watched that dream diminish. They watched that dream vanish. But they hid. You can't identify them unless they speak up. And now they're speaking up. Now they have the courage to speak up. But 
they're speaking up in undemocratic ways. And everybody is surprised, everybody is shocked that these true Americans are not acting like Americans. And the greatest threat by these true Americans is that they wanna be the thought police. Everything else is a consequence of that. They wanna control the books that are in the library. They wanna control the books that we use in education. They've always been doing that. And now they're afraid that the boundaries are becoming fuzzy and they're losing control and they're losing control of the school boards and they're losing control of the entities that created their version of America. And so now they can't see another version. The dream that they see seems to have a little too much color in it. Being me, I hadn't, I couldn't put it in those terms because you've identified something that I, I had not been aware of this, the 30 year suppression of these groups that, that are now being empowered in some way to um, express their opinion. You have used a term a couple of times today, thought police. Yes. It's an interesting term. It goes back to some of the brave new world, 1984 type science fiction novels that, that, that existed where people were controlled by drugs or other things. It's, it's my euphemism for censorship. Yeah. The, the concept of, of controlling thoughts. Now, there's, that's probably the, the scariest discussion we could have. Yes, it is. As a dean, I believe it's my responsibility to raise that flag. Yeah. I believe it's my responsibility to warn of the serious consequences. When, when Florida can try to control what's being taught in higher ed by people who know nothing about what's being taught. When people talk about critical race theory and they don't even know what it is, and then they put anything having to do with race in it, when you try to control um, simple training by HR on how to work in the workplace and what harassment is, or when you try to control history being taught in a way that says, but you cannot make my child feel bad for being black or white. You know, we have to be careful about how you teach slavery from the perspective that make sure that the white kids don't feel bad about this now. Mm -hmm. If they had nothing to do with it. And you aren't worried about the black kids, about their parents being slaves, being embarrassed. That's privilege. More importantly, though, that's censorship. And that's rewriting, rewriting his story. Which goes back to some of the things we talked about at the beginning, which is, are we going backwards? Or are we moving forwards? Uh, and, and of course, there, there will always be attempts to, to go backwards. Right. Because it worked in the past. If I remember it, then I know that my, that my generation remembers it. And if they happen to be senators and school board members and bankers, et cetera, then they may try to rejuvenate some of those techniques that were theoretically successful. I, don't you think that there's not a, 
a state commission in some states right now, if Trump can control the party with mob threats using political pressures, that's just an extension of having, he's not the only wrong person who's in office and who's willing to excoriate anybody who dares threaten them. There's a reason he moved to Florida. <laughs> because his tactics weren't very effective in New York. Right. So he surrounded himself with like people. Well, yes, he did. But Florida's state government has proven to be just as resourceful. Yes. Well, we have to find a podcast to start to uh, talk about the future elections in November and 2024 and where this all may head uh, down the road. Um, uh, not today, but uh, this, this all, it, it all leads to these discussions and everything that's going on around us all have an impact on what the future of our government may look like, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Which is, which is kind of scary unto itself. Well, it's scary, but on the other hand, uh, remember when we first started these discussions, you, you, were, you were worried that we weren't going to get enough done before we lost our passion, before we got tired of it, right? Yeah. And, and I was telling you, we can't run at breakneck speed right. all the time, right? It's things like this that re-motivate you, that rejuvenate that spirit of engagement. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I, I didn't think we'd have this much going on around us to talk about. We had plenty to talk about <laughs> just with George Floyd and, and the political environment. I never really thought we would have this much, this much disruptive news to talk about, but I guess we, we could go on until you, neither you and I can talk any longer with everything that's going oh, on. Oh, we'll around. be dead and there'll still be things to talk about. Oh, well, they'll be talking about us. Yeah. But, you know, uh, but see, the thing is, though, is um, your comment shows a, a, a bit of a blind spot. George Floyd was not the opening chapter. We just have, it just happened to be another chapter that caught your interest. That's correct. It was, it was another, it was a chapter in the book that I finally got to and said, aha, and that started the conversation. But yes, right. there were other chapters, and we've talked about many of them over time, that were in the book. But it took that chapter to get the so book. My, so, so my point is, is that you shouldn't be surprised that, that things are still going on. Because things were going on that you just ignored before. Yeah. You, you right. Know. And, and there was a conflation of events that kind of caught your attention the pandemic george floyd donald trump all those things came together but it's always been that way for me my entire life you know and and and, and i think we, we could look to wrap this up in a minute but um i think what's interesting is i am more aware of what's going on because I know we're gonna have these conversations. And so as a result, I try to pay more attention 
to at least fact gathering from my standpoint. Mm -hmm. you, you, your passion was very evident for the last period of time. My fact gathering is there and it's really a bit of a, an opportunity for me to learn and understand your passion while I wrap my arms around the facts. So I think as much as I don't wanna pay as much attention to the news, I kind of do it so I can keep up with you. <laughs> it, it's a challenge. It's, I, I challenge myself to, uh, to watch something and say, I wonder what Phil's gonna think of that. And so that's what I do. There's a, a documentary on A&E. Okay. It's called Right to Offend. Okay. And it's a documentary of black comedians Oh. In the night from the 1900s. Okay. It moves from the development of black humor from a white perspective uh, in the early 1900s to the impact of the civil rights movement and Jim Crow laws and key comedians and how they brought race into their repertoire mm -hmm. and how they use humor. Right. to introduce many of these topics and dick gregory is one of is is considered one of the first love, love dick gregory yeah and uh fox what's his name um red fox. I, it, it's a it's a two-hour documentary but i would strongly recommend you watch it we need to um we need to go yes but thank nationwide again for putting up with us and supporting our conversations in whatever direction they go Thank you for joining us for another Courageous Conversation. Be sure to follow us and check back next week for more.